Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Backstage Pass, the podcast by Front Row Ventures taking you behind the scenes into Canada's tech ecosystem and its success stories. We'll be hosting Canada's top investors, founders, and tech minds, and we'll be asking them the questions that matter to you. FRV is Canada's first and largest university VC firm. We'd invest in companies leveraging cutting-edge technologies to create and redefine industries. Today, we're very happy to have Kim Furlong. She is the CEO of the Canadian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association, the CVCA. The CVCA is an organization that represents Canada's private capital ecosystem. They speak to governments and create opportunities to voice the most pressing issues in the Canadian private capital landscape. Prior to the CVCA, she spent five years in the Canadian government and a decade at Amgen as VP Federal Government Affairs. She graduated from McGill University with a Bachelor's in History and from Carleton with a Master's in International Trade and Finance. In this episode, we'll cover all of that and more. So, without further ado, here's Kim Furlong. Hi Kim, it's a, it's a pleasure really having you on our podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. So um, for, for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, you and what you do for a living, could you just you know, walk us through um, you know, what you do on a day-to-day basis or what you've been doing so far? Sure. I, uh, I'm the CEO of an organization called the Canadian Venture uh, Capital and Private Equity Association. And it's an organization that's based out of Toronto that represents private capital from coast to coast. So we have members from Vancouver to uh, the Maritimes, the Atlantic. And we, I, I lead the organization. We're a team of about 12 people. And there's a lot of things that I do, but mostly I try to connect with investors uh, and give them value and services through my team and I to make sure that they can succeed in their everyday work. And there are things that we do for them that they wouldn't do inside a GP organization. Amazing. I'm Kim. I'm excited for for today because, uh, like I said in the in the pre-recording, uh, I, I as a VC for for a couple of years now. Obviously, CVCA is important. Is 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 supporting investors across the country. I'm excited for for younger listeners to be able to understand a bit more what CVCA is. Uh, but before we j- just before we go into the the CVCA itself as an organization and everything, um, we're we're always trying to go a bit one step further into like how did you get there? Like, what is the story behind becoming the CEO of CVCA. Um, yeah, what, what is the story here? Oh, it's a good one. Um, well, first, I'm the first woman to occupy the position. Which is amazing. <laughs> it's been a highly male-dominated uh, field for a long time. Um, I started my career in government as an official and then in politics. And while I was in politics, I met a lot of people. The outgoing CEO at CVCA, Mike Willett, and I met uh, and when we worked in Ottawa and we were both official aides uh, to ministers at the time. Uh, when he decided to leave, it was not something that the board or the members expected. An opportunity came to him and he decided to seize it. And I remember getting a text. I was actually in Gaspé, which is my, uh, my homestead uh, on vacation. And I got a text from him saying, I'm leaving CVCA, need to give some names think it would be great to have a woman at the helm. And I think you can take these guys because some of them have big personalities. Um, and it, it was in a split second. I was like, yeah, that sounds super interesting. I'd been, uh, I'd been in the same position for a decade working for a large multinational and I was ready for a change and I was ready for uh, a leadership position. And when the role was offered to me, I, uh, I took the ball and I've been running for almost three years now. That's amazing. Gaspé, Gaspé represent is pretty cool as well as a, as a Quebecer. <laughs> we were talking before, before recording. Uh, definitely excited about Gaspé. Um, but but I do want to mention here having a woman at the helm of one of the the biggest organization um, in the finance industry. It is quite a big deal because as you as you've mentioned, um, and obviously I'm a white male, so I I. I I'm not better, but uh, it is quite white, white male dominated. So I'm excited uh, that that we're able to have some diversity in this organization. It's, it's pretty epic. Um, and for people that might not be savvy with CVCA, what does uh, what does CVCA play? What is the role that it plays uh, into the Canadian investment ecosystem? How you've mentioned before, like that it works with 
all the, the VC, the PE firms, like, but what does it mean concretely? Yeah, so we have about between 250 and 300 members, depending on the year, it ebbs and flow, usually 270, 280, um, divided in PE, VC, LP, some service providers. We service them um, by doing a few things. We are the hub that connects people and you, anyone who's listening, who's interested in VC or works in VC would know that you can't do a deal alone. You need to syndicate and you need your friends and what we call the dancing card. Who do you play with uh, on a regular basis in terms of your deal flow? And the CVCA creates events and opportunities for people to get to know each other and to create those opportunities for co-investment for the private equity side where they act very much alone and they don't share the proprietary uh, deal flow and pipelines. They are looking for some connection, some knowledge, uh, resources of things that we can create for them and um, bringing together speakers that can speak to trends that are happening in the industry that will help them decipher on how they're managing their own business. So trends with portfolio, trend in investment at our conference this year, we did something on secondaries and continuation vehicles that which we see a lot more in private equity where the whole time for a fund or for a company goes beyond the five to seven traditional year. And we've seen the same thing in the VC space where there were some uh, sidecar funds that were meant to continue the journey with companies. So we bring content and resources. Um, and then we're the voice of, of the, the, the sector. And that may sound like a tagline, uh, but if you have an issue perkling up in Ottawa, um, a policy decision, a taxation change, something on talent, innovation, IP. Um, Matt Ivis from my team is based out of Ottawa. I have a background in government, so I spent a number of years there. Uh, so I understand the wheels that, that function to make decisions move and how you can sometimes influence how people perceive the industry. So uh, we advocate, advocate very strongly for the best possible environment for in which our members to operate in and and I, I do want to double click on the on this last point because I, I I mean I've been kind of working with governments for the past year and I was personally surprised how I mean when you're you're, you're young you don't really think about how governments works and how corporates and privates work with the government but why is it CVC could be described in in my view and correct me if I'm wrong here but like as an um, umbrella organization kind of uh, having the best interest of the whole financing chain, right? And kind of representing that to the government is what you've kind of mentioned. But why is it important to have an organization like CVCA being able to take like all of those different firms' interests and kind of uh, translate that into, I guess, an, a government language or uh, government rooms where where things happen? <laughs> Well, and, and there, there's two answers to that. One, government wants to hear from us when they're thinking about doing something or implementing a new piece of regulation or legislation. They want to know if we're going to be happy or unhappy. So we serve as a testing uh, zone for them to see what the reaction and we can aggregate what our members think and we can go to our members. Another facet of it is... You know, if, if you look at the numbers since 2008, in terms of venture in Canada, and you look at the last half of 2021, we were at 8.2 billion. Our high watermark in venture was in 2019 at 6.2 for the entire year. Wow. So that did not just happen. That was CVCA advocating to the government the need for these fund to fund mechanism where the government puts money to work, the private sector, you know, doubles 2.5 in the last pro uh, program, the money that plays and flows to GPs and then flows to entrepreneurs. So we play a role in making sure that the federal government and the provincial government understand the needs of venture and de facto the, uh, the innovation economy and how they can create programs from immigration, startup visa, uh, patent laws, like how do you how do you put these things in place so that they facilitate the growth of the sector, which I believe will be the dominant player in reshaping the economy post-COVID. Um for, for a super national organization, national focus organization like CVCA, um, one question that comes to mind is how are you working with, with both governments? You're talking about provincial and federal. Um, what is the, 
how are you working with with those two layers of governments? I would say, um, and and how is being a national focused organization like CVCA impact those two those two layers of the government? We we work. You're right. You're absolutely correct. Uh, we will. We work with both levels, uh, provincially and federally. Federal is important. They regulate a lot of what uh, is important to us. Taxation, immigration are, are two things that come to mind. Having a, an environment that's conducive to building a, a company that has limited red tape. So they, they have the levers in many ways of things that are essential to running a business and having the employees in the talent pool to, to build and grow and scale companies. The provinces are also important in that um, they play a support, supporting role in the local ecosystem. And from coast to coast, you see, and we've seen um, over the last, I would say three or four years, provincial governments um, that were not previously invested or thinking strategically about the venture capital asset class, thinking more strategically about it. From Nova Scotia all the way to BC. Now there's some actors that have been active for a long time in this space. And there's some people that are catching up, but at both levels, they're very important. And, and you've, you've just mentioned that some provincial governments are different from one another. They have different strategies, they invest different amounts, they have different structures as well. Uh, as, as we know, Quebec has, has some venture arms, other provinces don't have that. Um, how, what are the main differences between, because, and it's not because we're two Quebecers here, but I think Quebec <laughs> is a bit different, I would say, compared to other provinces. We can say that because we're from yeah, Quebec. Yeah, exactly. Yes, we we have right. the rights to say that. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, so so how is it different? Um, and maybe ex explain for listeners that are less savvy with, with how governments are usually structuring investments. Okay, so let me start by saying that Quebec and Ontario are by far the two provinces that have been in the game the longest. Quebec is different in that it has a number of institu institutional investors and investors um, that have investments in Quebec at the heart of their thesis. When I think about Le Fonds, yeah. uh, they have a mandate to invest in Quebec. When I think about Fonds d'Action, uh, which is an impact fund, like they yeah. have, it, and, and there's a Quebec angle to it. Investissement Québec is unique in, in its scale and what it does. Uh, the last I checked, they had a billion dollar fund uh, that was directed to venture capital. Yeah. So they have a lot of capital that flows and they're looking to grow in scale and make sure that the Quebec environment. Now, Ontario has similar funds, Alberta Enterprise, similar fund, the amount of money um, in Alberta versus Quebec is not the same. Now, you'll tell me it's not the same size of population, <laughs> yeah. but the ambition, when I see the Alberta ecosystem growing, the amount of venture capital that's flowing there, the government, Minister Schweitzer, who's the minister responsible right now in Alberta, he gets it, right? He thinks, okay, yeah. this is how we transform the economy. I was in New Brunswick uh, a couple of years back and we were talking with, uh, with officials and saying, Sometimes governments are looking to attract a big yeah. multinational and create 100 jobs. And politically, that can be very appealing. Our message is you can have five startups and they will all create about 50 jobs in, in their inception. And that is so much more powerful on the innovation ecosystem, on your economy, and what it creates in terms of future entrepreneurs if you scale. If, yeah. you, uh, if you succeed, then you give back and you become an angel investor. So strategically thinking about the importance of the capital is something that all provinces do, but you're right, Quebec has more capital in the game and is often focused on making sure that the benefits are reaped in Quebec. 
Nice. And you've just mentioned like some, because there's like a real difference between pension fund and the government investment arms, or even like other, other parts of governments that are investing in the ecosystem. And so, but in Quebec, you've mentioned a couple of pension funds, you've mentioned Evesma Quebec, you've met in, in, in Ontario, there's some notable pension funds as well. How are you seeing, is it, is it every province that have those pension funds that are like co-investing with some kind of investment arm? Is it, is it like more Quebec and Ontario that have those invest uh, uh, pension funds. How do the link between the pension funds and the governments? Like, how does that work, basically? Well, all pension funds are and should be arm's length of government yes. <laughs> agenda. Right. They are there to make investments based on market conditions and market returns to make sure that people that are working today can have a very comfortable retirement. So when I think about CPPIB, Alberta. Um, teachers who's now was yeah. joined to AIMCO. When I think about Ontario teachers, when I think of, think of La Caisse de Dépôt and Placement du Québec, yeah. um, they are extremely active in both private equity and venture. One of the issues is that they're extremely big. So yeah. the size of check that they write is often commensurate with a large fund. And in Canada, there's just a few funds. Uh, and I know we're probably going to talk at some point about the fund-to-fund mechanisms uh, yeah. that the governments federally have put into place. Some of the pensions uh, have played in that, uh, in that space. Some of them have created some standalone VC where they do direct investment. They're often playing in the scale-up game. They're yeah. not playing in the seed just because they have so much capital to allocate that it's just more efficient to write a $100 million check than to write a $10 million check. Love that. And I do, we can't talk about like all of those, those governments without talking about a bit politics here. Um, last time we chatted together, it was September, 2021. I think it was like five days, T minus five or something like that. When we chatted the two of us, um, now we're uh, recording this in January. So, so we just had an election government liberals. I came back um, to Canada Um, I have many questions here, but let's start with a more general question. Like, how does politics and the outcome of the most recent election or an election in general, how does that impact your job and CBCA? Well, first of all, you know from our chat in September that I'm a political, re recovering political aid, political junkie. I follow that space and we had a lot of predictions. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that either of us predicted that we would basically get the same government, no. that it would basically be a cut and paste, give or take a few seats. Um, from where I sit, who governs is only important in that the, the platforms that they have. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's a liberal or conservative, it only matters what they're putting out there in terms of policies. Um, the return of the liberals is a good thing for our industry. Uh, we, a few minutes ago, we spoke about these federal programs. The Harper government were the architect of these things called fund to funds. Uh, at yeah. the time it was called VCAP. And back then it was in just after 2008 and 09, VC industry in Canada basically eradicated, like we're, we're gonna rebuild. And the program at the time said, the government said, okay, we're gonna put money in and we're gonna ask the street So investors, LPs, to put money in a pot. Yeah. We're going to get some funds to distribute these to GPs. And we're going to try to attract high net worth individuals, family offices, and different LPs to the asset class. And we're going to rebuild and try to create more emerging managers so that there's more Canadian management of venture capital uh, dollars. VCAP resounding success yeah all of the money now like has been has been deployed we're seeing the projected returns and it's fantastic so the the trudeau government comes in and says you know what this is a long game we need to we'll we'll follow course the harper government had a good policy so we'll replicate yeah. it with some tweaks so we had the vicky program and last year in the budget 2021 they announced a renewed vicky yeah so To us right now, if you say, Kim, what's keeping you up at yeah. night? <laughs> Making sure that this renewed Vicky gets moving and that the wheels are set in motion. It's been almost a year and I an election. About, I was about to ask, because it's been a year. Everyone's wondering, like, where is where is that Vicky? How is it going? I know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you finish your answer, but we'll definitely go there. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'll get I'll get right to it. Where is Vicky uh, between the election, between care, caretaker mode, which is basically for your listeners, if you don't know what happens when an election is called, is everyone puts their pen down. Yeah. Nothing is done. Anything that was in movement is suspended. All officials, all business of government, except for a few things in terms of defense and foreign affairs, basically stops until such time as a cabinet is reappointed and mandate letters are sent to the minister where the machinery of government restarts. It took us months, Raf, to get back to where we are. Right now, the file is with the minister, but to me, like when we asked for this in the last budget, we knew A, that the government needed to stay the course because yeah. it takes a long time to build a venture industry. And we knew that emerging managers, and I'll remind your listeners that an emerging managers or a new manager in DC is yeah. someone who has raised four funds or less. And if you look across the spectrum of it must Canadian be DCs, yeah, it must be everyone. And we're almost everyone here in, in Canada, no? Not everyone has raised four funds. No, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. most, most VCs in Canada must be have like not hello. raised. Yeah, four exactly. Funds. So the need to say the course and to have these anchors, these fund to funds. And the last time it was Arborvest and Kensington and Northleaf and yeah. Terrellis in Quebec. It's super important. And it's even more important in terms of what we're seeing in the market right now. And that's what CVCA has been uh, discussing with the federal government. The macroeconomic conditions, and we can talk about that next if you want, are changing. It is not what it was when we made the ask last March. Okay, I cannot not go there. I need to, what, what are the changes in the macroeconomics? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Ralph, because, um, so let's talk, inflation yeah. uh, is one. Big, the, big cost, one. <laughs> the cost of capital uh, is important especially you know if you have debt and, and that can be at, at some point maybe more important in private equity that uses leverage at yeah. times less today than they did historically but still there's a component of debt in venture um, the future value of your company based on inflation yeah. decreases as inflation rises and you know that a lot of our startups and our tech companies are still not profitable yeah. so a lot of their value is on the future value of that company so we're seeing a decrease can you uh, can and, you unfold that for listeners how is that how is the inflation just making it making the valuation drops just just to make sure that everyone understands at, at home so the cost of carrying capital Yeah. is more expensive as your yeah. interest rates go up. So yeah. as the interest rate go up, the cost of running your business and carrying that capital um, is impacted inversely. So as in interest rates grow up and inflation yeah. rises, the future value of your company reduces. And it's just a question of math. It's the same thing as when you look at the federal deficit, the more the inflation goes up, the 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 smaller the deficit looks yeah um so all that to say um the future costs and that's what you're seeing in the public markets and the public markets are interesting you know we operate in a private sphere where we don't have to report on a quarterly basis to exactly. shareholders but what you're seeing in the public markets when you look at shopify that had a, a difficult week when i look at Peloton, when I look at DocuSign, when I look at all these companies that add huge bursts of value and yeah. their share price like skyrocketed during COVID. And now they're they're just going down. And that's telling that the investors are saying the future value of that company and its growth potential, we see as either being stagnant yeah. or going down. So That means that when you're a, an investor, let's say a pension plan, and you have a portfolio construction, you have different assets in your portfolio, you have some public holdings. As your public holdings go down and that value goes down, your share of private holdings, that value goes up. So they, in many ways, would look Yeah, more uh, allocated, overly allocated to venture. And venture is usually 
10 at the most 15 percent of a uh, of a pension plan's allocation because it yeah. is a risky business so that tells you they're not going to give put more money in a section of their portfolio where they look overly invested because of value discrepancies. So what we're seeing is when we asked for Vicky last year, the environment was very stable yeah. in many ways. And now we see an environment where it's not stable. If you were fundraising today, it's still a positive environment. Yeah. But I can't, I don't have a crystal ball that tells you that in six months or nine months or 12 months, Cause, the cause, economy will be the same. Because I would, as the more they realize that they overexpose, the less they'll be investing in VC. So the more the ecosystem will have some kind of lack of capital, I would assume. And there's the link with the Viki program. The Viki program is looking for institutional investors and people to put money in venture. And if in their portfolio construction, they believe they're overexposed uh, in that asset class, it will be harder for our fund to funds to go and find people to match the government capital yeah. that is required. So we need to get the ball moving because once that money is fundraised, then everyone is yeah. committed. And then when there's capital calls, uh, everyone is obligated legally to kind so, of put that money to work. But how... Like, how would you, if, if you were, and I'm assuming you've probably done that and you were pro probably presenting something new, but if you were to draft this, this thing right now, those recommendations right now, would it be like, how can you modify basically VK? Is it asking for more capital? Is it asking for different terms that the matching one-on-one -on -one would be? I mean, I, I don't think it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's like two-on-one -on -one now, if I'm not mistaken. It's Perry Pursue. Oh, they come oh, in wow. at the okay. same, yeah. So, so is it asking about like a different... Well, we don't Ratio? want different. We want the government to come in as an equal partner. The first, the first program, they came in first and left, like went in, like we're last to be paid in terms of the waterfall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what we want is for the government to know that this is a program where they're going to put money to work. Private investors are going to put money to work and they're going to benefit equally from the, from the return. So I, the program is already there. It's been done twice. Yeah. Everyone knows how it works. There's very little risk around it in terms of creation of a program. I think the environment is still like highly com compelling. People are still investing. We still, I have new members of CVCA uh, joining, which is incredible. The That's number exciting. of funds that are starting <laughs> from corporate venture to smaller funds, people finding creative ways of, of bringing a high net worth individual into the asset class. So so my only hope is that everything gets rolling really quickly, that we have RFPs, that we choose these fund managers and they can hit the pavement and fundraise uh, over the next few months. Uh, because this program, if it's in place and we have a major correction, is almost like a net at the bottom yeah. where uh, a lot of our GPs will have doors to go knock on when it's time to fundraise. Um, and they're mandated to, to deploy that capital in, so, uh, in Canada in large part. So it's not about asking for different programs or different terms. It's more about asking to close ASAP so we can move and yeah, we just put need that to, net in place, basically. Yeah, we need to get the wheel moving and yeah. it needs to churn. Uh, it, it needs to move. Uh, and the commitment is there. Everyone has said it's going to happen. I'm just, maybe I'm a worrier. Maybe uh, I think, you know, we need to to make sure that every all the, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted because you never know what we have in our future. And some of these macroeconomic trends, Raf, are a bit worrisome. Are we because we're 13 years into a bull market? I know. Year over year growth. So that's and that's the that's the funny part yeah. for someone that I've started to invest like seven, six, seven years ago. It's been and it's funny because a lot of older investors are just like, well, like everyone could be making money in this market. And for someone that has been investing like me, like six, seven years, it's like, it's only been like that. And it's funny because yes. I had a bunch of discussion recently with like older investors that have been doing it for like 20, 30 years. It's like, what does it look like when it's different? Because like, you can feel that there's something coming, but there's like a big question mark. Is it going to be like the 2000? Is it going to be like 2007? Is it like, what is it going to be if it's different than what we've experienced over the, yeah. the last 13 years? That's a crystal ball thing, but yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a good position to be in when there's a correction and you've just fundraised. 
Yeah. Valuations yeah. go down. Conversations between funders and investors are a little bit more normalized because the value right now and the price that people are paying for investments is, is high. We're, we yeah. can't lie about that. Like this is this is a very hot market where a lot of capital is chasing very few deals. So it's very yeah. competitive. Uh, if you're fully, if you're fundraised and you have five years to allocate, then you can, you should you can find go, yeah. some good gems. Airbnb, Facebook, a yeah, lot of these they all came companies, out they all came out. Yeah. <laughs> so it, a lot of people say when there is a correction and a downturn, it's the best time to have a vintage fund where you have spectacular companies. It's the concept. It's the, the theory of an ecosystem where the, uh, the trees that were supposed to die, die, and then they, they, they leave some space for, for, for new trees to kind of grow. Mm -hmm. And that's like those Airbnbs and those like the new startups. That's exciting. But what I'll you. say, Raf, is that the ecosystem in Canada, the ambition of our entrepreneurs and the vision to build, grow and scale is yeah. there. So if, and oftentimes we see in a correction, someone who either loses their job and says, you know what? There was never be a better time to start a company, so I'm going now. Um, we have all of the ingredients, yeah, to like really seize the moment. We just have to have the tools at our disposal, and the renewed Vicky is one of those tools. I love that. I do have one last question about politics because we've ended up like having we've talked about it, but the same exactly the same government or almost exactly the same government on on the perspective of, of those like legislations and those things. Is it just basically they've paused everything, then they're elected again and they resume or is it like they're changing it again? And that's like me, not super political savvy that asking the question here at, to a political junkie. junkie. Yes. So any commitments that were approved in a budget and if a government comes back, you can assume that these previously approved by cabinet yeah. budget commitments will proceed unless the government in the speech from the throne indicates a change of direction or signals that they're going to do something different. The yeah. speech from the throne really sets the tone for the government agenda. We should see in a few weeks another budget. Uh, a yeah, budget I, yeah. if I had, and, and now we can use a crystal ball, I think this budget will be more measured in its spending. The government has spent a lot of dollars on COVID. So I yeah. think the envelope we will not see uh, some of the uh, some of the measures that we saw uh, that were extremely generous. The amount of capital that was put to work by the federal government in the last budget was like it had never been seen. I think if you like adjust for inflation, like we're talking like wartime spending, right? Where you're just trying to fuel the economy yeah. and making sure that things, uh, all the pistons are are, are moving. Um, so we should we should see something more measured. Um, and we should see a, a scale back of all the COVID supports as, uh, as you know, we learn to live with COVID. We, it, it appears that we're never going to see necessarily the end of this pandemic, but just no. <laughs> a, uh, different versions of it. And how do we, how do we adapt and, and resume normal activity under these conditions? That's wonderful. And definitely my understanding now is that politics is affecting how CVC does, uh, does, does its job, how it's supporting the ecosystem. But if we're coming back here one second to the fundamental of what CVC does, it's, you've mentioned earlier, it's supporting the P and the VC ecosystem. Um, I'm sitting here from my point of view and, and I have like a more general question because my understanding is that maybe like 10, 15 years ago, even like maybe 20 years ago, uh, P and VC were maybe quote unquote, closer to each other like it felt more like p pe were investing in vc now it feels like more vc is becoming an industry by itself it's becoming mainstream it, funds are investing uh, more funds are emerging into the vc ecosystem um how how as a cvc how as an organization can you support both sides of the both sides of the financing the financing chain sorry how can you support those those two types of organization that in my view um, must have different challenges in their day. Oh, private equity and venture capital are extremely different in the way they approach capitalizing a business and investing in a business. The first thing that everyone should know is that private equity app, uh, like works independently, while venture capital uses a syndicate. 
So you would never see a VC firm deciding to scale and grow a company on their own. Yeah. They're always looking to do a cap table where different people are going to come in and put dollars. You would never see that in private equity. A private equity firm goes in on their own. They're looking at mature businesses that have the potential to scale. They're sitting outside, standing outside, looking at the potential of a company and approaching a management team and saying, here's what we could do with the injection of capital. Here are the productivity gains. Here are the verticals that you're not exploring. Here are the markets where we could start exporting if we did the following investments. Um, they are similar in that they're partners in the business. Yeah. Um, the private equity folks spend probably more time on the operations while the venture uh, group is probably a strategic and it's earlier, right? So when you think about venture, you think someone seeding a, yeah. uh, a company and looking for the guidance of someone who's had the experience. Because I always say this to entrepreneurs, if you think venture capital is like a bank and you're just getting a check, you're, you've got it wrong. You need to look at an investor that is going to be your strategic partner and guide you yeah. and, and share with you all the wisdom that they've earned through failure so that you don't go through that, uh, through that same experience. And for CVCA, because the organization, like you've mentioned earlier, uh, at the, the fundamentals, like what it, it's there to support both sides of this, of yeah. this financing chain. Um, so, so how is it possible on, on your end to kind of support those two types of organizations that have different challenges day to day um, and be, but be able to, to, to be there and help, help them do their job better, quote unquote, because that's not. Totally well, they, they share this, this partnering and growth agenda in growing companies. So to us, it's, we are the representative of the capital that is essential for Canada's economic growth. So Got that's it. the number one thing. The second thing is that they both usually source dollars from the same kind of LPs. So they go out to the market and they raise for funds. They're structured the same way. They care in many ways about the same issues, red tape, competitiveness, taxation regimes. So when we think about the policies that affect one versus the other, they, they meet in the middle when it's time to talk and think about the importance of those policies. And CVCA spends a lot of time reminding decision makers of those policies. Talent, we talked about that earlier. The, the talent pool in, uh, in Canada, it may be different in some ways, but in many ways, when I look at that middle of the spectrum, so you've got on the one end people in venture that are seeding and growing and scaling companies, and you've got that middle, that growth capital, yeah. where sometimes you have minority investors, you see people that look like VC firms make those investments and people that are PE firms, I can think of Novacap for yeah, one, true. who are doing some growth investment like Nuve. Like, so that, that middle of growth capital meets both sides of the uh, of the spectrum and at the end of the day um they are the engine yeah and the capital that will transform canada's economy so one of them works in the sme and mature uh space and the other one works with people that are just starting and have the ambition to create something and how because you've just mentioned that growth capital and i think uh, when you study ecosystem, and that might be like the software engineer in me trying to study patterns in ecosystems, but definitely there's a movement for many different reasons, the 220 model, there's many other reasons, but there's more and more funds that are going later stage, I would say. Are you also seeing that trend in Canada where it leaves, I don't want to say a gap, but is there even a gap in early stage more and more that start that funds like Inovia or, or uh, th that are going into growth stage and, and investing more and more, not like PE firms, but investing more closer to PE firms? Well, our, our results for 2021 will be available uh, any day now. We saw 14.2 billion go to venture and oh. about 18 billion go to PE. So you can see that there's That's impressive almost, that they're almost at the same. Now, let me put this in perspective. In 2018, 3.7 billion went into venture capital. Oh my God. In 2021, 14.2 billion. 
went into venture capital. So the That's asset class, day and night in terms of numbers. I know. It's so it re, and there's a lot of those. So when I think about uh, Wealth Simple last year, yeah. I think Trulio, like that was a billion dollar worth of uh, of deals there. So when you have these large checks at the growth VC growth space in that later stage. It's great to see those numbers. They're going to companies and they're fueling the, the, the potential of these anchor companies. When people uh, go through our report, they'll see that the amount of transactions was almost equally divided between early stage, uh, huh. mid and late, except that the amount of capital that went to the later stage was right. significantly is, yeah. bigger. Now, when I joined CVCA, uh, the U.S. was $130 billion okay. in venture investment. And I remember telling the board, we should have the ambition to be at least $13 billion, a tenth of the U.S. We're a tenth in everything else. So we should have that ambition. Now, the U.S., I think, is at 270. So we reach the 13, but they're continuing to go. And there's a lot of capital. And the U.S. is not the only market that has a lot of dollars flowing to this asset class. So we need to continue to see the amount of money that goes to early stage. Yeah. continue to grow more transaction, more dollars to early stage because you cannot grow what you didn't seed. It's as simple as that. So it's not that there's a gap, but it's that the need, we need a growth in the earlier stage because otherwise we won't be catching it up. We won't yeah, be creating just, enough startups to have that. I got it. And there's so many entrepreneurs out there that have the potential yeah. You just have to ensure that they have access to that capital. I did conversations this week with Black entrepreneurs and investors and Indigenous yeah. entrepreneurs and investors. And some of the companies that they're seeding are spectacular and have the potential to transform and have an approach like the Indigenous companies have this impact and like these values that are attached to them, which is at the core of what ESG is about. And everyone's saying like, we're moving towards ESG and impact investing. And there's so much potential, Raph. There's so much potential. It is so exciting. We just need to make sure that the capital is there and the opportunities are seized. That's wonderful. I do, I do want to ask, um, like, like we said earlier, uh, this, this podcast is also about um, not only shedding a bit of light on on CVC and what you do, but also also on you. And I'm I'm curious a bit because because before this recording, Tianxi and I were, um, I don't want to say stalking you, but definitely stalking you. Um, and and you so you've studied at you 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 studied at McGill in history. Best university in the world. <laughs> definitely biased here. Um, but uh, I did not study at McGill. I still love McGill. Uh, that being said, like how like. How did you choose that, and how does um, like from history to venture cap, like if if you if you were to kind of meet your younger ten year self, would you have believed that you would have ended up at the head of the biggest VC and PE association in Canada? Definitely not, Raf. I uh, I ended up at McGill in history because of teachers and professors. So I had an amazing history teacher in high school. And he made it so interesting. And then I went, I did my CJEP at, uh, at Champlain in Lennoxville. And there was a teacher by the name of, uh, professor by the name of Graham Moody. And he was, he was also wonderful. So I thought, you know, I love this subject matter. I actually thought I was going to be, do a PhD and end up teaching in a university. Uh, I quickly discovered that my penmanship and my ability to write was not going to sell any books. Um, so when I left McGill, I went to, uh, to the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, where I did my master's and did a master's in trade policy and global finance, because I was really interested through university and the FTAA and all of these global uh, trade deals that were being signed uh, following the GATT. So, so I took a tangent because of my inability to uh, to write, and uh, and it was the right thing to do because. E but even then, there's there's another professor, Len Moore, who was a professor of history, U.S. history at McGill, and I remember sitting at one of the pubs on campus and lamenting that no one would ever hire me. And I'm still in touch with him, and we kind of joke when he's followed my career and it's like, yeah, Kim, no one would ever hire you. So uh, to anyone who's, you know, in university and thinking, look, I can never find a job after this. Uh, yes, you will. You just have to. <laughs> you know. 
I love, I love that. <laughs> I didn't think I had any skills. I was like, what do I need? To, what can I do? I can write papers. And, and he was like, Kim, you have more skills than you think. And the right thing will come along if you keep chugging at it. So see that that's one of those things where I, I love doing this, doing this podcast. Cause you, we end up like talking about like the younger days of the people that are now have successful careers. And, and often we have like one or two professors that come up and it's, it's truly, uh, it's really exciting to see like the impact that someone can have early on in your, in your life. And it's not like, it's not mom or dad, but it's definitely someone that has like a, an impact that's cool. So, so it's pretty cool. Um, in the same spirit of like education, because, because it is uh, our, our listeners are quite on the younger spectrum here. Um, you've worked in the federal government, you've worked in organizations and like at work with them outside of them. Like, like what are some learnings that you've had over the years working for and with and and the, on the other side of the table with public federal provincial governments it is quite a large question general question yeah. but <laughs> yeah well i've i've always been policy minded and i think i've come to every job i've had with this idea of not only doing the tasks that were at hand but thinking strategically about what it could be how we could do things better uh, in not only kind of, I was a communication strategist for a while, I was writing talking points and, and communication plans. And I was actually always really interested in the subject and not just like what people should say, like try to drill into the topic. Um, I've worked for associations, I work for government, both as an official and as a political aide. I've worked for a multinational, uh, I worked so I, I've, I've experienced different structures of work and I've always approached every job from my first job in government, which was basically the level of a janitor. Like I was paid nothing. It was like, it was truly entry level. Um, and even at that job, my motto was, I want to be known for being the best at this. And it, it was never about something else it was always like how can I be the best at this what I'm doing right now how can I extract the most out of the learnings that come with every position that you have and how do you build a network every time you're given a new position um, so from the people you interact with in university to clubs and professors and just being active in developing that network networking kind of muscle of being able because these people that you meet today will be the people that will offer you the opportunities tomorrow or that you will help and it's the more you help people the more it pays back so you're always giving back and but you need to be connected you can't just be sitting in your bubble thinking that it's going to happen just on its own you need you need that network effect and i i think i'm a pretty social person as an individual and an extrovert so it was easy for me but if there's anyone who's listening where it's not easy you have to push yourself outside of that your comfort zone and go out there and meet people and build that network today don't wait until you enter the workforce um, because the person that you're sitting next to in university could be your boss or colleague or the person that leads you to your next opportunity it's truly uh it's, it's, it's funny because I was I was talking to uh, to someone today and and I officially am an introvert but a lot of people don't know that because one on one I'm I'm good but in a public kind of a like conference kind of thing I, I I'm able like introvert and extrovert is kind of a scale and I'm able to go in the middle of it um, but most of the time I'll crash for like tw good 24 hours after like a big conference week or something like that so I would I would definitely concur here uh, it is possible to push yourself uh, and 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 I would say as as an introvert um, it is it is quite important to build that network even if it's a bit taxating uh, taxing on the on the energy for sure Tianxi, I know I knew you had a, you had a question here uh, you had a couple of questions about uh, yeah, so you mentioned that the networking muscle uh, was something that, you know, I guess students or like young professionals try to develop like as soon as they can. But would you have any other skills? This could be related to life skills, habits, or technical skills that you think that students should also be learning? Uh... One of the things that you learn um, 
that I, I should say that to you, that I've learned in my career is how to make an argument succinctly, both in writing and verbally. Oh, I could when use that. <laughs> when, you, when you pitch, when, you, when you're asking for something, like you just need to own that skill and it doesn't just happen. You have to practice it over and over again. Um, so, and it it will follow you for your entire career. And I would say, you're always learning. So whatever opportunities in front of you, uh, not because you're leaving school that you shouldn't be learning. So how can you either find mentor, sponsors, people that will pass along some knowledge and then just, just be a curiosity pays off. So be curious. And uh, I guess this relates more to you and your career because you've shifted from so many different things, right? Like um, studying history, uh, doing global affairs, and then eventually moving to business and now like, you know, doing private capital. So what is it like that's allowed you to learn and adapt to so many different sectors? Well, I never said no to an opportunity where I... uh, where I had doubts in terms of the knowledge gap. So I said to my team when I got to CVCA on that cold January morning of 2019, I know nothing. So assume that I know nothing. And then they said, okay, well, we have our GPs and our LPs. I was like, okay, what's a GP? What's an LP? And one of the guys said, okay, she really knows nothing. <laughs> and and they, But they didn't hire me because I knew what a GP and LP was they hired me because I had the communication skills and like, you know, manage like a complex matrix in, in business. I understood government at different levels. And I, I knew I'd experienced a trade association before by opening the office of the, the um, um, Retail Council of Canada in Ottawa, their federal office. So I had all of the skills to lead the organization, but none of the knowledge of what our members did. And a lot of people could have self-selected out and say, well, I don't know anything about venture and P, so I can't do that job. So I would say be more, take more risk in terms of seizing opportunities. Because if you're smart and you're not afraid to say that you don't know and ask for help, then you'd be surprised how far you could get. How um, I'm as an organization like CVCA, it's interesting because you because because you work with VC funds that their job is to invest in the best of the best entrepreneurs and even like PE firms that are investing in, in companies and hopefully the best companies possible. Um, how do you stay and 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 bear with me here because because I don't want it to sound wrong, but how how do you stay relevant in your role in in a way that how do you stay up to date on like what is it to be like investing when you're kind of working with the people investing but not necessarily working with the entrepreneurs themselves like is there like how how does that how do you think about it internally with your team at CVCA? Well, we report on a quarterly basis on all transactions that occur in the Canadian market. So we collect and aggregate and and decipher and write analysis. So I feel that I get a pulse and sometimes more than an individual GP because I see all of their work coming to my desk. And that set of data keeps me connected to and gives me a bird's eye of like what everyone is doing and the overall and the trends. And and my team and I would kind of like, look, okay, what's happening? What are the trends? Are we seeing like more money going to one vertical or one sector? And and then we put together on a quarterly basis, those reports. So that's one thing where they know that they're sitting in their offices or at home with their team and their portfolio company. And there's a lot of other stuff going out out there. So I give them a a sense of community and, and bring to, and I, I am more connected today to my members because of COVID than I was when I was on planes because I say to my team all the time, put the meetings in my calendar, make sure I'm talking to new members and people that are not really engaged, people that are not on our board. Like, how can I stay? And I always say like, tell me what's going on. Like, what, how is your portfolio going? What's going on in the market? And then I, I feed them back on, on what I'm hearing from other people. So it's that connectivity uh, that even though I don't invest, 
And for anyone who wants to connect with me on LinkedIn and pitch me their business idea, I won't respond because I don't invest. Uh, I'll send <laughs> it to my website. So if there's anyone after this podcast who's, who's thinking about connecting, you, I invite you to do so and, and say that you listen to this podcast so I know to accept because I don't accept if there's no context. Uh, but I don't invest in companies and I don't give any investment advice. Uh, I'm not set for that or skilled for that. Um, but the... There's a real advantage of being connected to everyone yeah. and aggregating everything that's happening in the market. The high level visibility on what's happening in Canada must be quite exciting to see all of those things kind of popping a bit and, and those funds kind of like growing and those governments being more and more involved. Um, I do have one last question on, on, on that here, because you've, you've talked about COVID playing. Obviously, it's been for, for the VC industry, at least it's been such a change like before like going for for a board meet a three-hour board meeting montreal vancouver that was a common thing you know and mm -hmm. i'm sure your role you're 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 going across the country probably three times a, a week <laughs> um how do you think is it let, let's let's take out our crystal balls here how do you think is it gonna evolve is it is it gonna stay completely remote because because you discovered some efficiency or is it gonna be more intentional like how do you think your your job will evolve on that front I think what I'd like to make smarter choices, and I've said to my uh, my team, um, if there is a conference that I've been asked to speak at, uh, I say yes if there's other member-related meetings or things that I can do. Uh, getting on a plane for to go to Montreal for an hour for a meeting, don't know that I'm doing that uh, if I can do it by Zoom. But there's times if you don't, especially if you don't know the person, if it's your first meeting that being in person kind of solidifies that first impression. So I think it's going to be an ebb and flow. Um, our team has been very accountable and very, uh, very efficient working from home, but you still, we were together last week for a retreat and there's something very special from being together. So I think the hybrid model will be different for everyone um, and for fundraising. Like anyone who was fundraising this year, who did not get have to get on a plane, yeah. spend the dollars and the Big time, change. the hours, and still manage to close, they're like, this is a game changer. And it will be, I think, going forward for a lot of GPs, if this is not your first fund and you have a good relationship with your LP, you'll be able to close on Zoom. And if you want to bring in a new LP in your fund, then uh, you're going to get on the plane and go see them. And, and that brings efficiencies on both sides and, uh, and facilitates a very grueling uh, process that you would both know well of, of fundraising. I'm I, just on the environmental, and environmental, oh my God, on the environment perspective of it. I'm sorry, my Francophone accent is, is, is uh, every time I'm trying to say it word. Uh, on the environment perspective, it's just, it's crazy how much fuel and, 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 and CO2 that you're not releasing in the atmosphere by, by saving that. Zoom is quite I, other systems as well, but remote <laughs> fundraising on this one is quite a change for sure. Tianchi, do you want to, do you want to take us home? Yeah, it's, uh, essentially. So there's one more question I wanted to ask, and it's about your uh, LinkedIn um, bio line, which is, could not live without my men, my road bike, one moment of silence, and great wines. So, which is the greatest, the greatest quote ever, by the way. <laughs> well, um, I, I, as you as you were reading it out loud, out loud, uh, if I was a single woman, people may wonder like what my man means. With my man, yeah. uh, not a single. I'm an, I'm a mom of, uh, of twin boys that are six. Oh. And I have a fantastic life partner who is in, you know, a supportive, equal um, partner, a fantastic dad. So they, and when I found out I was having boys, I kind of sat in the chair for 45 minutes repeating boys and wondering what I was going to do with two boys. Like as a woman, you're like, I know nothing about boys. Um, and now I can't even imagine and not my life being different and not being surrounded by those three who uh, keep me on my toes, uh, as you can imagine. They have a lot of energy uh, and, uh, and they're just wonderful. So that's my men. Um, I, uh, I forget what the other things are, but one moment of, uh, of silence every day is meditation. Very important to me. Um, 
I learn how to meditate just before COVID hit and it's been transformative. Uh, and for anyone who's thinking about it, I would say building a practice is very important and you can start small. And the more you do it, the more you realize how did you go without shutting down your brain for a few minutes every day and really recentering yourself I, uh, I just finished this weekend, 100K for the uh, Prince Edward County Grand Fondo. Nice. I came in 53rd out of 232. So for a matant like me, like an older woman, <laughs> like to be able to pedal that long Congrats. and to, to get that finished. So I love my road bike. There's a feeling of freedom when I get on it. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time in Prince Edward County, uh, which is a wine region of Ontario. And it's just a beautiful place, no matter the season, in, uh, in exercising and being connected to, uh, and I've got my spin bike outside on my porch, which means I'm always out there, but the, the road bike has more freedom. And then wine, you know? <laughs> no my need parents, to explain. No need to explain. My parents were a restaurant owner. My mom is a chef. Like food is wow. part of my DNA. And there's something very beautiful when you open a bottle and you have that sip and you think like, this is a pretty magical uh, glass of wine. So uh, life and, and beautiful wines is, is something that, uh, that I appreciate and, uh, and do in moderation, but I do <laughs> really appreciate it. I could see, I could see that in your eyes. I was like, oh, and I need to say it with moderation. I, and I, I need to add <laughs> in moderation. I love it. Well, Kim, it was such a pleasure to talk with you. I cannot agree more. On, I, I was about to say amen to all of those beautiful things. Um, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed our chat. Hi, dear listeners. Thank you guys so much for listening to the latest episode of Backstage Pass, a podcast by Front Row Ventures, this time featuring Kim Furlong. Here at Front Row Ventures, we're continuing on our mission to fund Canada's most promising student entrepreneurs. If you'd like to keep up to date as to our new investments or what we're doing, um, please head over to frontrow.ventures. As always, if you enjoyed our episode, please share it or forward it to your friends. It would mean a lot to us. Also, if you see our episode on LinkedIn or any sort of social platform, it'd be awesome if you could just give it a like. Anyhow, thanks for coming. We'll see you next time.